So composing, bringing attention to the present, here and now, the breath, the body, sound of silence, mood, state of mind you're, exper you're experiencing at this moment. So th this way of just noticing without you know, adding anything to it. It's like bare attention. You're just observing the bodies like this, breathing, sound of silence. Because these, these are happening right now. These are not theories or things that are, are even personal. You know, they're not about me and my future and my desires and my past. Now the personality, the ego, is supported by ideas that I've I've been the same person over all these years. You know, when I was a layman, when I was a teenager, child, and it's the same person now at sitting here. And that I will uh, live a few more years. That's the future. The same person will live. You know, and then till it it's time till the body kind of just had enough, and then I die. The person dies, and this is how we, we you know we think, how we're culturally attuned, and what we seem to uh, you know g accept unquestioningly. And then in the Buddha is asking us to investigate the way it is, not just go along with the conventional views cultural uh, conditioned attitudes, but look into what is personality? What is the ego? So any stand you take on the ego, whether you should have one or shouldn't, or it's good or bad, it's still a thought, isn't it? It's still, you know, as long as you're attached to thinking and views, then you're, then you're always in that uh, illusion of being a person, a person that is attached to view of some sort about the ego. So even if you believe that you've got to get rid of your ego, that's still the ego. And it's not a matter of, of uh, trying to get rid of it or to even change it, but recognize it, awaken to it, it's like this. Now, Sakyaditi depends on thinking. For you to become a person, you have to think about yourself. I am like this. I'm good, I'm bad. I'm young, old, male, female, refined, coarse, whatever, you know, it's a, it, we have to create with words, ourselves, our personalities, the Sakyaditi. So what, you know, is, is language and his thought and his memory, are these permanently fixed conditions or when we open to them, when we observe, then we realize that, that how you feel, you know, how you think depends on other conditions. You're not the same personality, uh, you know, it, it, from moment to moment it changes. Whether it's sunny or rainy or damp and cold and whether you're hungry or full whether people love you or hate you, whatever, whether <laughs> you're feeling healthy or sickly, you know, you become grumpy, you become happy, you become light-hearted, loving, you become angry, enraged, jealous, frightened, bearing, depressed. Now these, these are conditions changing. Sometimes life is, you know, presents us with uh, 
a series of negative uh, experiences. So you're not going to feel happy by that. You know, not trying to sustain the illusion of happiness. But um, being aware of, of how, you know, the things do affect. And so what we're taking refuge is, is, is in is this Bhutto knowing the way it is, Dhammo, the Buddha knowing the Dhamma. Now this is, you know, we're, we're, as I said before, this is the reality of consciousness. You know, if you think you, that consciousness is yours, is in your brain, in your body, that's a perception, isn't it? It's a sense of, of um, me and mine. And that's oftentimes what we assume. We assume the brain is the condition for consciousness. But another way of looking at it is uh, because we're, you know, consciousness seems to be, it's not a created state. We don't create consciousness. We, there is consciousness as experience here and now, isn't it? We're all conscious. And consciousness is like this. It doesn't needn't be, you know, trying to define it, but just recognize it. It's like the space, you know, the space. Just open your eyes and look. The space right, right ar- all around you, inside you, in front of you. Consciousness is... Because this is consciousness. It's as simple as that. And then the, then the thinking process, it's, uh, you know, create myself into it. This is my body. I am like this. I am this kind of person. So then with mindfulness, with what we call satisampachanya, then we can actually rest in consciousness and observe the conditioning that we're experiencing, the sense of ourself. So like sati, sampachanya, is a intuitive awareness, awakened attention in the present. Consciousness is operating. We can recognize it. Uh, this is it. And then the, then the, uh, then the sense of a self arises. I am Ajahn Tomato. I can. I have some perspective on it. Now, if if I don't investigate and this, then I tend, you know, in the in the ignorance of conditioning, I I would tend to operate always from I'm Ajahn Tomato. As a kind of, this is my my identity ongoing. Or I'm this person. I have a passport, and I'm I have a birth certificate, and so forth. I, you know, have proof that I'm am somebody. Or how many of us depend on on in, on being somebody? You know, having a position. Uh, you know, having an identity, strong identity. You hear a lot now people suffering because they don't know who they are. You know, if you're born in a country like this with with mixed parentage, your mother's black and your father's white, and what are you, English or African or what are you, are, can, you know, you, you get confused about your identity because, the you know, the ego wants, uh, you know, I want to know who I am. So we look for identities, something that gives us certi- certainty. We need maybe people to tell us, you know, uh, am I okay? Yes, Ajahn Sumato, you're a great teacher. You're you're okay. We love you. And then on a on a on a personal level, and that if I need that to feel secure personally, then when I don't get it, I fall apart. You know, somebody if the people start telling me they don't like me and I'm no good then I sink into depression because the sense of feeling 
okay depends on affirmations from outside. So that is the suffering of even being loved and, and admired. It's still not enough. There's not enough. I began to recognize, even if everybody in the whole planet said they loved me, it's still, there'd still be this doubt. Because the ignorance is still there. There'd still be the suffering. There's not, you can never, you know, you can't fill up, you can't find liberation just through uh, trying to find a false sense of security in the conditioned plane. So, you know, we do play games, you know, in, in society, trying to, you know, support each other's illusions or delusions. But say in uh, in awakened attention, now this whole the whole emphasis and point of Amravati is it's a place where where you know that awakeness is encouraged or chitterst or any any of our monasteries. The point is they're not to be a kind of you know. Nice communities of good people trying to bring peace to the world. And actually, you know, where this sense of encouragement, uh, we need to be encouraged to, because we, we tend to be so intimidated, so bound to the conditioning that we have already. Sakya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa Wichikicha. So that's why in the talk about the Dhamma, we say, Bhajatang Veti Dapo Vinuhi, to be experienced individually. You have to know this, you know, just believing me or taking my word for it or scriptural authority, that still, there'll still be a doubt. Just grasping good ideas and um, doctrines from books or teachings from teachers, you don't really know. It's like, you know what the taste of honey is till you've tasted it, and so this uh, awareness is tasting it. It's like this, you know, recognizing it. Now, in the Four Noble Truths paradigm, that's the whole point of the Second and Third Noble Truths. Realizing, Third Noble Truth is about realization. Realizing how thoughts, emotions, uh, what arises ceases. The reality of how that all conditioned phenomena ceases. In what? Consciousness, isn't it? When thoughts cease, emotions cease, there's still consciousness. You're not unconscious. Nibbana isn't the experience of being unconscious. But how many of you really have observed cessation of anything? You know, the illusion, the delusions of modern society is always about, you know, seeking happiness. It's so many distractions, so many uh, options, alternatives, that one can constantly seek some kind of distraction so that the, the recognition of cessation is never possible. Because every time we, we something becomes, uh, something has changed in a way we don't particularly want or can't accept, then we uh, seek another distraction. So that's why in uh, Buddha emphasized old age, sickness, death, grief, sorrow, despair, anguish, not as a morbid philosophy of life, but awakening to these because we we don't really generally speaking these are the very experiences we tend to try to uh, ignore or run away from or resist so in this attitude of 
awakened attention, we're allowing now, allowing despair, disillusionment, sorrow and grief. old age and sickness, pain. We're not seeking them, that's asceticism, you know, doing things to make yourself miserable. But there's enough, you know, there's this natural flow of life, they come naturally, you don't create suffering uh, intentionally to understand it. There's enough in anyone's life for enlightenment. <laughs> because this realm is like this. You know, if you're a Devadan, then then it's harder to maybe harder to recognize suffering because the uh, amount of beauty and happiness is you know is your is your uh, is your main experience, and that uh, we like you know we, when you're happy, you don't really you just you just want to prolong that happiness. Now, in the way that I encourage, like sound of silence, not to grasp it as some kind of, you know, make anything out of it. It's merely expedient means as far as I'm concerned, because in the pragmatic way of meditation, you know, it it once you recognize it, you have to let go to recognize it. I've known people who sat on retreats with me trying to find it for a whole retreat because they conceive it. You know, the sound of silence, some kind of cosmic sound, some kind of, you know, they may make it into some something trying to get it. So when we're trying to get something that we imagine or we hear about that we want, that's not it. It's not a matter of trying to get it and achieve it, but the, but to recognize this this the this sense of relaxed, open receptivity. Like letting go. It's actually letting go. Relaxation, isn't it? Or letting go. Second noble truth is all about letting go. It's like it's not not a not destroying anything, but relaxing, allowing things to be what they are, just but attentive, attention, alertness, listening, receiving. Now, when we when we're trying to attain something, you know, or trying to find something, we imagine. So I say, sound of silence, and you pick up, it's a sound, it's probably, sound of silence, there's that uh, Simon and Garfunkel song from The Graduate. <laughs> These are the kind of memories that arise. And uh, it might sound mystical, like if it's a mystical sound, I remember, uh, you know, the uh, Sikhs, some Sikh groups, you know, use it, but it ha- it make they make it into highly kind of uh, uh, initiation experience, where you have to study for years and then finally are introduced to the sound to this nada sound. So that maybe that's maybe there's good psychology behind that. I don't know, but I found it quite naturally. You know, it wasn't wasn't uh, through a guru at all, but it's through through recognizing, through through reflecting on the way things are that I became aware of this. So then, a thing like you know, you're taking, you're, stu- you're contemplating the Nietzsche. All conditions are impermanent. So then I began to think. I wonder if there's anything that's imperma- that's permanent. And then, of course, uh, well, Scripture says all everything is impermanent. So, 
So then, when I grasp that uh, that view, everything, all sankharas are impermanent. Then, I tend to almost project that the attitude of impermanence onto everything. So it's a, like I'm grasping the Buddhist doctrine of impermanence. Because all, if I say, put it in these terms, everything is impermanent. That means there can't be anything, any permanency anywhere. According to the way I think, you know, everything means everything. So then, just by grasping that, then I tend to, to, you know, believe it. Because... You know, uh, personally, I have great, you know, great respect for the Buddha, and he's a lot wiser than I am. So whatever he says must be the truth. I believe in everything the Buddha says. But if you contemplate Dhamma and practice, then Buddha is not is not asking us to believe anything. This is all investigation. So. Then there's this, uh, what is, is there impermanence? Is there permanence? In terms of experience here and now, not as some kind of theory or some kind of belief uh, as a, that, that like in God or in, in some kind of force, uh, some kind of ultimate reality gets into abstractions in Buddhism. Ultimate reality. But when you t- you know you're talking about God or ultimate reality, these are concepts, aren't they? God tends to be, you know, anthropomorphized. So we're all stuck from the Ju- Judeo-Christian backgrounds with this silly figure of old man with a white beard up in the sky. God, the great patriarch, the patriarchal father, that punishes us when we're naughty. And so this is this is a uh, you know this is what that word at least you know when I talk to many people and including you know my own Christian conditioning Christian background was this God is is actually uh, anthropomorphic figure of a, a patriarchal father. Now that's cultural, isn't it? That's a cultural conditioning. Ultimate reality. Then it goes into kind of abstract concepts. What uh, what is ultimate reality in the mind? What does your mind do with that concept? Ultimate reality. Can you imagine? Can you make an image, an icon of ultimate reality? You know, I can make an image of God, old man, white beard, up in the sky, sitting on a cloud. But I can't, you know, when the mind, my thinking mind goes kind of, it stops, you know, ultimate reality. I say, I believe in ultimate reality. What, how can you believe in something, you know, in that which you don't even know what it is? Except that, you know, you believe in the term, you know, the ultimate reality, something, you know, What is it, you know, when you think about it? Ultimate truth. So this is like exploring your own experience using these words and concepts and seeing how, you know, in mythological forms of religious representation, you, you have forms like Zeus or, or uh, you know, Osiris or God or... Shiva, Brahma, Krishna. And then the Christians say there's only one God and he's ours. Shiva is not a God, just pagan. I mean, these are views and opinions, aren't they? 
that and the conceits, because we all think our religion is the best one. So in in awakened using awakening alertness with consciousness, you don't have to, you know, create consciousness, but we can be conscious and and lost in a dream world. You know, so we live in a in a in a kind of fantasy life, an illusory world, which can be, you know, we can make it to kind of whatever we want. Usually, we we're victims of our conditioning, so people sink into kind of depressions and despair. You know, when they don't get what they want, and life is disappointing. Get cynical, embittered, despairing, depressed. Some people are incorrigible optimists. You know, they can be really irritating too. Incorrigible optimists. Life can only get better and better, better and better, better and better, better and better. Well, it's not. Well, it will. Just keep a smile on your face and... And that's a kind of cheery, cheery uh, optimism. But it's hard to sustain it, isn't it? Because you have to keep, keep, you know, and when you, you know, the life isn't, isn't, you know, uh, a realm of uh, soda water fountains and pink marshmallows. It's like this, isn't it? It's, uh, it gets cold and wet and windy and we lose, you know, we, we lose our, wh- who we love, there's separation, there's disappointment, despair is part of every human experience, old age, sickness. And these can be depressing if we're attached to, you know, we, we, we don't like it and we, th- we don't think it should be this way. But notice what the Buddha is saying is, He's not justifying it or trying to tell us what to believe about it, but recognizing it. A simple recognition is like this. It means that you're opening to it. Old age, having an old body is like this. Feeling loss is like this when your mother or father, somebody you love or your cat, Dies like this, grief, loss. So, you know, there's recognition of grief. Loss of the loved is like this. Not getting what I want is like this. Getting something I don't want is like this. So, notice in um, in you know in monasticism uh, and in meditation. This desire to attain something, this is bhavadanha. In the second noble truth, they, they list the three kinds of desires. Now it's very important to know these desires, not it's, to recognize them. So in, in meditation, trying to attain and achieve something is actually bhavadanha. Trying to get rid of bad thoughts and um, negative emotions is vipavadanha. Trying to get rid of something you don't like is like this. Trying to become something, always trying to, you know, become something um, uh, that I imagine or that I remember. Maybe I've had meditation experiences where, you know, I've been very peaceful, very blissful, and I want to have it again when I remember that. I want to become that way. That's bhavadanha. So dhanha is a Pali word, or de- we translate that as desire. Desire to become, desire to get rid of. And gamma dhanha, sensual desire. That's the desire that rises through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body. Like when you see something beautiful with the eye and the desire to have it arises. Something 
is something hideously ugly passes in front of your field of vision, you want to get rid of it. Now that's just the way it is. Beauty is attractive, ugliness is repulsive. You know, that, in observing, that which is observant, that which is knowing this is the Bhutto, is the Buddha. It's knowing. And this realm, you know, the people are always talking about, you know, now in the problems around sexuality and and that that arise in the society is, is homosexuality natural? You know, and they have discussions on Radio 4 about this. And the, and the Christians say it's unnatural. And then others, you know, I don't know if anyone says it's, agrees that it's natural. But everything's natural in terms of Buddhism. It's not a matter for me to decide what is natural or unnatural. Everything is, you know, so it's not, it's not, uh, you know, who's going to, you know, we, we, we can take the conceit that the church or the Pope or, or the Archbishop of Canterbury or something can tell us what, what God has wanted us to be, what, what the Bible says and what's, what's right and wrong. But when you contemplate in terms of Dhamma includes everything, so everything and Dhamma, the word Dhamma means, you know, can be translated as, as natural or nature. So this is, uh, you know, we might have views, you know, preferences. We have cultural biases maybe. But that has nothing to do with what's natural. It's just the way we're conditioned. You know, conditioned to say this is normal, this is natural, this is abnormal, unnatural. Now these are cultural conditioning. This is this is Sila Bhattu Bharamasa, second fetter. So you have the these cultural conditions, you know, that, that determine our sense of what's right and wrong and what's natural, what's normal. What do we mean by normal? Is anybody normal? Is, do you know any normal person? You know, and we think, you know, I've thought many people, I used to think everybody was normal except me. Because I have to live with myself all the time. You know, when I go back to my cootie, I'm still with me. I can get away from you. No matter how abnormal you might be, I can get away from it. But, you know, can you get away from yourself? So I go and close the big oak door, there I'm stuck with me. Uh, and all kinds of, you know, what, what, what goes on there? Is that, you know, I see, I'm aware what's happening. Is that normal? Well, from the critical position, from my critical conditioned mind, I can see all kinds of abnormalities. And by this, I mean, according to Sila Bhattabharamasa, this is like these are not appropriate, not beautiful behavior in terms of society's values or even monastic values. So there tends to be a, you know, should and shouldn't, this is, this is uh, right, this is wrong, good, bad. Now with awareness, you're actually, you know, awakening to Dhamma, to the way things are, not to, you're not trying to, to recreate yourself into what society thinks is normal and allowable, but awakening to ultimate reality. Is ultimate reality something so remote, so abstract, that we just kind of have the idea of it, but we, you know, we don't quite understand what it is. We just may believe in it. Because we can't accept maybe the anthrop anthropomorphic versions of Christianity. You know, all that rubbish, old man in the sky, white beard. Rubbish, nonsense. Because we, you know, we can't believe in that anymore. Some people seem to, but 
well I personally but I think it's rubbish on a personal level <laughs> but then because stuck with the term ultimate reality which intellectually you know is kind of play you can play around on it on that level of thinking but what is it right now you know if it's if there if there is ultimate reality is it some is it a thing you know another thing that arises and ceases is it a good thing or a bad thing a right or wrong thing is it big or small we go into into the thinking mind which which divides everything up you know it's either everything or no thing So rather than trying to figure it out on that level, you know, awakening, this awakenness, observing, in terms of the reality of now, consciousness, If I just uh, if I just rest in consciousness, then I don't create anything. It's completely natural. Consciousness is, uh, you know, is not something I create out of my desires or self views or cultural conditioning. Completely, you know, it's everywhere. It's not not mine, or it's not Buddhist, or. English or anything like that. And consciousness, you know, allows everything. It's not selective. It's not judgmental. So I, I will have none of that and I'll have only this. This is normal. This is right. But none of that bad stuff. That When we do that, then we're caught in the conditioning again. You know, the the thinking process, the judgmental attitudes, and um, we go, we're stuck into that, you know, of trying to control and uh, annihilate the evil forces, trying to control everything. So that's where the liberation doesn't come through, through this divisiveness of thinking, but through the oneness of consciousness. You know, it's real. This is reality. It's not, it's not, I'm not imagining it, I'm just recognizing it. I'm using the word consciousness because it's a convenient English word, but, but whether, whatever you want to call it is, is not the issue. It's this, it's real, it's here and now. And it has no boundary. Doesn't begin and end in terms of now, the awakened, the awakening now. So by reflecting this way, I establish this sense of awakened, I know, there's this knowing. This is reality, this is real, this is not just uh, wishful thinking or fantasy or dependent. This is not dependent on meditation retreats. Or on ideal conditions. Noble silence and, and no problems. This is, you know, this is timelessness. Reality. Deathlessness. These words come, you know, are how the words that point to it. So it's recognizable, realizable. It's not, you can't find it as a thing, you know. It's not, you know, sound of silence isn't something to find, but to recognize. So as long as you're looking for something, then you're, you know, you're, you're imagine, you're, you're trying, you're still the bawa dunha, 
trying to find something you hear about. Or just stop trying to look. Just trust this is, this is the ultimate faith. Letting go. Realizing. So those are the insights into the second and third noble truth. Letting go and realizing. So what does that say? Putting it in terms of common parlance is uh, relax. Relax and pay attention. Just observe. Be the be the puto, the 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 knowing itself. Now, when I do this, and I I feel this sense of you know this. The, the, uh, there's no sense of a self anymore. Sakiditi disappears. All my cultural conditioning then doesn't seem to, it's in a perspective where I no longer, you know, believe in it anymore. I can, you know, I can function with it, I understand it, but it's not, it's not the kind of my modus operandi it's not, you know, I'm not coming from my cultural biases or conditioned attitudes, socially conditioned attitudes anymore. This is empty. It's not, not like it, it has a quality of, of being beautiful and, and uh, wonderful or anything like that. It's, it's what I would say is the norm completely normal. Not what society judges as normal, but if you're going to, you know, play around with words. So, say, the Arahant is, you know, in terms of, of the way we think, would be a completely normal individual. <laughs> Not a highly attained person. Now, cultivating this Matima Bhattibhata, middle way, and the fourth noble truth, the Bhavana, cultivating or developing. Now, this is like a lifetime's endeavor. Because as we live our lives, we say in, put in Buddhist terms, karma ripens, things change, you know, and then uh, there's loss of love. We all experience loss. You know, the experience loss of Lung Po Cha, Buddha Dasa, my revered teachers, loss of my mother and father, loss of friends, Ajahn Anando, and things like this. So you're experiencing loss, disappointment, personal level, seeing people, monks and nuns disrobing or coming disillusioned or whatever, and there's disappointment, uh, you know, on personal level. But on the 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 awakenness, you know, that's always th this is my refuge, not in my my emotional uh, tendencies. So those emotions still can, when the conditions for those emotions are present, then this is the emotion is like this. But my refuge is in knowing the emotion, not in. And I in grasping it and becoming someone that's terribly disappointed and upset because somebody does something I don't like or doesn't do what I want or whatever. You know, it means I still feel it, but I, the relationship changes from I from the personal grasping and then the the reactions and and way that I would tend to react to things on a personal level too, unknowing. So in uh, Sangha life, you know, in monastic life, it uh, gives us a, you know, a conventional way of living in which we are encouraged to reflect on the way things are. 
So in monasticism, you're still going to experience, you know, don't expect monasticism to to bring you happiness and peace uh, and kind of hope that, you know, you avoid all kinds of suffering. But, it you know, the point of being monastic is, is you know, it's a it's an expedient means, a, a vehicle to live in, in which reflection is encouraged. No, where we're not supporting egotistical desires or habits or ambitions or, you know, altruistic visions. It's, it's for awareness. If used properly, and it is, very, it is a very skill because it, it is a you know I find it a very you know nice way to live, very pleasant uh, way to to exist on this planet in this society in, in England. You know, it's a, works here, working well here in England. Uh, you know, it's a. Uh, It's uh, you know, it's a, it's a, but it's an expedient means in itself. It's not for attachment or identity, but a skillful means for encouragement of awakeness. So notice in the morning chanting, the Buddha. Awakened, aware, knowing is not you know don't see it in terms of of hist- history. We're not talking about a great sage of the past. This Buddha, this refuge in Buddha, this celebration of Buddha is about consciousness here and now. About consciousness as w- as we human beings experience it now. There's not something I praise for a for a great saint or a sage of the past. Can't be if you want to m- make it that way, but it's uh, certainly okay, but it wouldn't be liberating because you've missed the point. Then the Dhamma. Notice these terms, Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehipasko, Upanaiko, Bajitang, Vetidapoinui. These are apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation. Ehipasiko is, uh, is this real, you know, come and see. You know, it's an invitation, you know, encouragement. Wake up and find, look, it's like this. It's not, it's not telling you. It's a kind of encouraging to, to translate ehi pasiko into English. is very, not difficult. Ehi actually means come and see, Dhamma, you know. Wake and right now, observe. Encouraging investigation doesn't quite have the same taste, does it? A hipotico, encouraging investigation. But this is a hipotico, come see! Wake up! Stupid! Opanayaka <laughs> 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 dhamma. No, and this is, is it inward or outward? Encur- <laughs> Well, it doesn't matter really, but um, it is, you know, leading onward. You just get, you're, you can't, once you begin to recognize it, it's, it's just uh, present here and now. You're, 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 you're in it, you begin to recognize the reality of now, the power of now. Bhajitang Metidapo Vinui is to be experienced individually by the wise. It's like, you know, you've got to taste the honey to know its real flavor. I can't taste honey for you. I can just encourage you to try it out. So, I mean, it's budgetang. This is, it's, uh, now, these are, you know, in terms of Dhamma. What does that say? You know, what does that really mean? Is it, is it just abstract thinking, philo- philosophical concepts? It seems to me very direct pointing. 
Santiti Kodama, parent here and now. How do you get more direct than that? It's not about next year after you've developed all the jhanas and gone through the stages and all this and that, and if you bar, bar me, your collected virtues are good enough, you might be able to recognize and realize the Dhamma. That's all conceptual proliferation, isn't it? A parent here and now. We're c- you know, each one of us is a conscious, is experiencing consciousness now. You say, well, I don't quite feel that I understand what you're saying because, well, you know, I do have these problems and and the teacher told me that that I have a lot of obstructions and go on like that. The parent here now then is suddenly awakening to this this thing. Well, I don't quite understand what you're saying, Arjun Samain. When you suddenly realize, you know, the the way you're conditioned to think about yourself, I don't really understand. This is you suddenly awaken to this whole way of thinking, not in a critical way, but you begin to observe how you create yourself. Is I don't really understand what you're talking about, Ajahn Samaya. Is is a creation that you you might produce in the present. you know, I think you should understand and then, then I'm appealing to your you know, that that if you don't understand you're stupid, so and you should, then you then you create a, a personal problem around it. I'm not trying to incre- create more problems for you, but to to uh, encourage and trust yourself more. So even though I might feel, you know, on an emotional level, oh, I can't do it, it's got too many emotional problems, uh, that awakeness to that very thinking process. That's thinking. I don't really, I, do, I don't think I can get enlightened in this life. Then that's thinking process, isn't it? I, enlightenment, what do you mean by that anyway? What is I? And I don't think I can do it because I've got too many obstructions. That what is that? In the terms of now, the sakiditi. Putting it in a co- convenient category. And who, c- who? What is it that's aware of sakiditi? It's not me as a person. It's conscious. It's awakened consciousness within this with this individual human body. So it's like you're really, you know, noticing, reflecting on the way it is. And and using Buddha's teachings not for grasping or believing, but skill, they're skillful means. They're tools, skillful tools that if used for awakening, you know, do the job. They're, they're very adequate for awakening. But like any tools, if you just grasp them and don't use them, they what good are they? <laughs> just holding a lot of tools in your hand can be onerous. Mm, you think of what, what, how to use them, what are they for? And uh, teaching the Buddha is, is like that. It's, it's a tool to use for liberation, for enlightenment, for awakening. Have I convinced you? <laughs> <laughs>